The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Now hear God's word to us, Hebrews 2, 10 through 11. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Well, this concludes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to it by the power of his Holy Spirit. Well, if you've been with me long enough, you know that I typically don't follow the calendar, the holiday calendar. Uh, some of you may find that strange. Others of you may appreciate that because you don't have to hear Proverbs 31 every Mother's Day. But this year in the providence of God, right as we start what's called uh, the Advent season, Advent referring to the coming of the Lord, specifically his first coming, we start to actually focus on that in the book of Hebrews, uh, focusing on his incarnation, and really the wonder of his incarnation. And uh, what we're going to see as we look at this section, with regards to the incarnation, the next five Lord's Days, is not only how wonderful and glorious his incarnation is, but really how relevant it is to us, and how it deals with five main things, how it deals with our sin, how it deals with our shame, how it deals with our service to the Lord, frees us up to worship Him, how it deals with our slavery, our fear of death, then how it deals with our suffering, how relevant the incarnation is to that. That's the rest of Hebrews chapter 2. We begin with how the incarnation deals with our sin. And with that, we're going to see two things. First, that Christ is our sufferer. That's how he takes away our sin. Second, he's our sanctifier. How he takes away the power of our sin. So first, how he is our sufferer to take away our sin. Verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So then he begins with for here means that this is flowing out of what he said in the previous verses. And what he said in the previous verses is that Christ was made for a little while lower than the angels. That is, he became man. He assumed our humanity. Now, when we hear that, we're not scandalized by that. Uh, we don't get repulsed by that. In fact, when we think about that, it's the most wonderful time of the year, we think, when, Christ, uh, when we celebrate the time that Christ took on flesh. But this is not the way it was for the Jews. It was the primary audience in this book. According to 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Peter 2, the cross, specifically, not only the suffering, but that God would put on humanity was scandalous 
to the Jews. Why would God demean Himself so low to, to assume humanity? To assume humanity to suffer in our place? We, don't, we tend not to think that way. In fact, we tend to think of God like us. But when it came to the Jews, it was really inconceivable that such a thing would happen. And that is why the author of Hebrews is addressing that. In addressing that, he starts out by saying it was actually fitting for God, for whom and by whom all things exist, to have Christ suffer for us. And the reason he gives for why it is fitting for God to do this is because, as he says here in verse 10, all things are for him and by him. That is, he made all things, and he made all things for his own glory. Now, why does he bring that up? Well, it's because his glory was dishonored on account of sin. All things were made for his glory, a chief of which is man made in his image, meant to glorify him. Man, created with a creaturely freedom of will, chose to, dis, chose to disobey and rebel against God. And so God is the one who should afflict the punishment, which is the suffering of death. So it's fitting for Him to do this. But as this verse says here, in bringing many sons to glory, it's fitting that he should perfect through suffering the one whom he sent, the one who would stand in our stead. And this is why it's fitting to have the Son, the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, his word who reveals him, to take on the same nature as those whom he would save. Because it was man who sinned against God. Man owes the penalty. Therefore, man must pay. And Christ, the eternal Son of God, assumed our humanity to do just that. To stand in our place, paying the penalty, so that we may be brought to glory. And this is why the verse says that it was fitting for God to perfect the founder, or captain, or prince, or author of our salvation through suffering. He must come and suffer for us. He is the one who is the offended party, but He takes on humanity to pay for that offense. Now, how can it be said that Christ was made perfect? Was He ever imperfect? The verse says He was perfected through suffering. Well, being made perfect is not in the sense of Christ having something wrong that needs to be corrected or fixed. You know, he's imperfect. He's, he's lacking in something. He has some sort of error. And it needs to be corrected so that that error or imperfection no longer is there. Uh, that's not what this is talking about. Christ was sinless. Christ was perfect, morally holy the whole time. Rather, the author of Hebrews is using perfect in the sense of completing something that needed to be done, specifically with regards to our salvation. It's like bowling. If you've ever gone bowling, 
You know the idea, right? You have to knock down every pin. And if you knock down every pin in all 10 frames, you get a perfect score, and then that's 300. Let's say in the fifth frame, you have not missed one pin. You've knocked down every pin through five frames. You're halfway through. Do you have a perfect score? Well, yes, in that there's no, I didn't make any mistakes along the way, but no, in that the game's not complete. And that's, to use an illustration which falls short, it's weird comparing our Savior to bowling. But the idea of completing something, there's, there's nothing wrong with our Savior. He was not imperfect in the sense of some sort of moral failing. Rather, this perfected through suffering is completing his work. It's not talking about his intrinsic person. talking about completing a work given to him so that we would be saved. In order to be saved, a penalty had to be paid. And that penalty was Christ bearing our curse his whole life of suffering up until the cross. That is when he cried out, it is finished. Or you can say it is perfect now. He completed his work. So that is how he was made perfect through suffering. That is, he completed his work given to him by suffering his whole life so that we would be forgiven, our penalty would be paid, and we would be brought to glory. The whole life of suffering culminating on the cross made Jesus as our Savior and Mediator a perfect or complete Savior. Because without this suffering, we would not be saved. We would not be brought to glory. And this is what our salvation is about. This is why He suffered and died. To bring us adopted sons to glory. Many sons here refers to all of God's elect. But this is what we get as heirs of salvation. We are brought to glory. And glory here obviously doesn't mean the glory or worship that God gets. But rather, being glorified, dwelling in paradise with God, in His presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, and with a glorified body, without sin, without defilement, without even the possibility of corruption, in a perfectly healthy body without pain and ailments and disease. And not only that, a body without shame. There's nothing to be ashamed of anymore. There is no need to hide. No need to fear judgment. No need to fear rejection. No need to fear not being loved or lacking in something. In fact, Jesus says that we will be shining like the sun. If we can just get a glimpse of that, I think we would stop running towards fig leaves to try to cover our shame, try to be somebody, try to protect ourselves from rejection, being judged, being shamed. Knowing that we are brought to glory. 
And this is what Christ's suffering accomplished, which required the incarnation since God cannot suffer. God, who has life in himself, is not dependent on anyone for his existence. He himself is his own existence. Therefore, his life and his existence, who he is, cannot be taken from him in any way. No decrease, no increase, no turning of shadow with him. A creature cannot affect his life, which includes his joy, his well-being. It all comes from him, not dependent on any creature. And so God the Son assumed our humanity without ceasing to be God precisely so that he could suffer and die. And by doing this, he has forever dealt with the penalty and curse of our sin so that we may be glorified with him. As William Gouge, one Puritan, said, in Christ's humility is our exaltation. In His cross, our crown. In His shame, our glory. In His death, our life. And this is why He is the founder of our salvation. This word founder has a twofold meaning. It can mean Author, as in creator or originator of a book or a business. The designer, the originator, the creator, apart from uh, which it would not be. Christ is the author of our salvation. And this word also means leader. And this is why it's translated also as captain or prince. Uh, captain is the one who's leading the way, who's leading the people to a destination, like the captain of a ship. Uh, Jesus not only founded our salvation, He's also leading us in the wilderness on the way to glory. He is persevering us, guiding us by His Spirit, and guaranteeing that we will be brought to glory. And this leads to the second thing that Christ is to take away our sin, and that He's our sanctifier. That, that Christ is the one who glorifies us, that brings many sons to glory, means that He also sanctifies us. And this is because, as has been said, sanctification is glory begun. And glory is sanctification complete. Glory is just a completed process of sanctification. And this is what our Lord does for us. Verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. So again, that the author begins with four means he's giving the reason for what he just said. The reason why Christ, uh, by being perfected in suffering, is the captain of our salvation. The reason why he can suffer for us is because he who sanctifies, being Christ, and those who are sanctified all have one source. Now, literally from the Greek it says they're all from one. And what that refers to is sharing a thing in common. Now, it's theologically true that both us and Christ have one Father. That's why we're called His brothers. But the context heavily focuses on Christ's humanity. 
verses 6 through 9 says that he was made for a little while lower than the angels. Verse 10 says that he was perfected in his sufferings, which assumes his incarnation, his humanity. And then verse 14, the conclusion to this, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. In verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So out of one, it's referring to be of the, being of the same human nature, sharing in our humanity. Christ was born of a woman. He assumed a true human nature. And therefore, both he and his people are of the same thing. Humanity. And that is why he is not ashamed to call us his brothers. He's one of us in his humanity. But in this, we see that he is the one who sanctifies us. And the reason this makes him our sanctifier is because by putting on humanity, he represented us humans as opposed to angels. 1 Corinthians 15 says that we take on the likeness of our representative. 1 Corinthians 15, 48-49 As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is the way it works with representation or federal headship. We take on the image of our representative. That is why we are born with a corrupt nature. We're like the first Adam being born in his likeness. But when we are born again, born of his spirit, that is when we take on His likeness. And it's only those who are in Christ. Only those who are united to Him. Only those who have Him as their representative. That they begin to be like Him. Now of course we aren't changed instantly. But we are being sanctified. A lifelong process. But we are taking on the image of Christ. As our representative. Because Christ was perfectly holy righteous and sinless in our own humanity as our representative, we take on that image. We become like Him. This is the path to glory. And I want you to notice who it is that sanctifies. There's two groups here. He who sanctifies, that's the one who's active. And those who are being sanctified, those are the passive recipients. There's only one in the first group. He, singular, who sanctifies. And then there's us in the second group. We are the ones being sanctified. And that's in the passive mood, meaning it's being done to us. And we also see this later on in Hebrews. Hebrews 10.14 For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Passive mood. We also see this in 1 Thessalonians 5.23-24. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, singular, who calls you is faithful. He, singular, will surely do it. 
God is the one who sanctifies. And it's stated emphatically in the Greek. As Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The same one who began the good work is the same one who will complete that work. He is the author and finisher of our faith. As our confession of faith says, reflecting these biblical truths, the principal acts of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon Him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life. God is the one who sanctifies us. We don't sanctify ourselves. We are passive recipients of His work of sanctification. But wait a minute, you may say. Don't we have a role to play? Doesn't the Bible say that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Well, we are to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling by putting sin to death, striving to walk in holiness, not giving in to temptation, putting in effort to do what is right even when it is hard. But this is not with the result of being sanctified, but a consequence of being sanctified. Meaning, we don't become sanctified by doing something, but rather God sanctifies us and then we do. Paul says that we are to work out our own salvation because, because God is the one at work in us both to will, even give us the desire to want to do what's right, and to work, giving us the power for His good pleasure. That sanctification God at work in us to will and to work for His good pleasure. And as a result, as a consequence, we put off sin and put on righteousness. Our work is not in lieu of God's sanctifying work, but in light of it. Because it's just a basic principle. We can't change our hearts. Only God can do it. And without any heart change, it's... It's only the same habit breaking that unbelievers have who can become sober and who can quit smoking and things like that, break bad habits. But sanctification is God's work in us to will and to work for His good pleasure. That is only something God can do. It is God giving us life by His Spirit. And as a result, we work out salvation. We fight temptation. We, we pray and ask God for help. We set aside the Lord's Day. We meditate on Scripture, read Scripture. We find ourselves walking in holiness as we find greater rest in Christ. But because we trust that God is the one who sanctifies and is at work in us, from that confidence, that rest in Christ, we begin to make small beginnings in living like Christ. When we don't understand this, uh, when we we end up becoming legalists, trying to sanctify ourselves by our keeping of the law. Uh, yeah, we may trust that God has freely forgiven us our sins, but when it comes to sanctification, living holy, well, that's on us. 
And so we think we need to be motivated by the condemnation of the law, working to fight sin so we can avoid God's judgment, so we can avoid shame, give us the steps or principles to self-improvement. We think, okay, salvation is forgiveness of sins, but being delivered from the power of sin, that's on me. That piece is on me. And the only thing God's given me are legal incentives to do it. Uh, do this or I will punish you. But when we believe that God is the one who sanctifies us, that the gospel includes not only forgiveness of sin, but power over sin, because we have been united to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, that not only did Christ die for us, but we died with him, were raised with him, crucified with Christ, Christ is now in us. When we believe that, that is when we have motivation and power to fight sin and walk in holiness. It's not, I have to work hard and get this right so that I can be delivered from sin and become and have a righteous identity. But because I have died to sin and live in Christ, because of who I am in Christ, I do not need to continue in this sin. We don't work for this new identity. We work from it. And how did we get that identity? We were crucified with Christ. We were buried with Him. We were raised with Him to newness of life. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. We've got to get that first so that we are sanctified by faith rather than by our own law-keeping. And really this deals with both antinomianism and legalism. So antinomianism means against law. Anti, namos, the Greek word for law, against law. It teaches that Christians don't need to keep the law, that, that we don't need to obey. Uh, that's antinomianism. But this deals with antinomianism uh, because it says that we are the ones who are being sanctified. God is sanctifying us. Uh, he is working in us. And so this idea that uh, somebody can profess faith in Christ and, and, and have no changed life is just false. Because we are the ones being sanctified. And we find ourselves not being sanctified then we simply call out to God who graciously gives salvation to all who ask. He, he gives His Holy Spirit to who, whomever asks freely. But this also deals with legalism. Because Christ is the one who sanctifies. He has not left us to our own law-keeping to try to produce holiness in us. It's not the case that He, he has converted us and then left us to the work of making our hearts uh, holy. Rather, he is the one who gives us the power. It's not that He only gave us instructions and the batteries are not included. He gave us the power to walk in holiness. And the more we believe this, the more we understand what Christ has done for us and how we've died with Him and been raised with Him, the more we find ourselves walking as He walked. And this also provides encouragement for the wary. All believers have a major battle within. 
1 Peter 2 says that the lusts of the flesh wage war on the soul. That's strong language. And Paul says in Galatians 5 that our flesh is at war within us, with, with God's Spirit within us. It's an intense battle. We don't always succeed. We fall often more than we like to admit. And we are often blind to our sin until God shows it to us. And then we're surprised by how sinful we really are. God's not surprised, but we are surprised. And we struggle with besetting sins that can get us really discouraged. I did it again? Why do I keep doing that? And then we say, you know what? I'm going to buckle down. And I'm going to pray hard. I'm going to put these safeguards in place. And then I won't do it again. And then what happens? We do it again. And then we say, am I even a Christian? Why do I keep struggling with this? But the good news in this battle is that Christ is the one who sanctifies us. And it's present tense. It doesn't say He has sanctified us. It's done. No, it's present tense. It's a lifelong process. You are going to have sin. It's going to look messy. You're going to even wonder if God's at work in you. But Christ is at work in us because we are the ones who are being sanctified. That's how Scripture identifies us. And just as with anything in God's creation, it takes time. Think about God's creation. We start out in our mother's womb, and we grow. And we continue to grow into adulthood, and that takes time. And then we, we get older, we, we grow in different ways. We grow not vertically, but horizontally. But that's not part of the plan. But you think of animals, same thing. Plants, same thing. It doesn't happen overnight. God's process is slow. And that's the way it is with the Christian life, sanctification. It's a slow process of growing to be like Christ. And there's setbacks along the way, but God is the, work, is the one who is at work in us. And with our sanctification, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, we make but small beginnings in this life. Yet God does not sanctify us, beloved, on the basis of our merits or how well we're doing. Ah, you messed up. You don't deserve it now. No, rather, He is always at work at us. Always working to grow us. And that's actually uh, why we need Him to sanctify us. Because we can't even bring pure motives in wanting to be sanctified. God has to even change that. And we're helpless to do that. Only He can. And so this gives us encouragement that our captain is still leading the way, even though the waters may be choppy along the way. Because if He has begun the work, He will finish it. That's His promise. And this gives us uh, married people encouragement. You know, sometimes as we go through marriage struggles, uh, we can feel desperate. 
when we see our spouse living in sin. However, if your spouse is the Lord's, God wants your spouse sanctified more than you do. And the one who wants your spouse sanctified more than you do has boundless power to affect it. So as you have rested on Him for your sanctification, rest in Him for your spouse's sanctification. The promise is just as much to him or her as it is to you. If we try to manipulate them with the law and guilt tripping, then we essentially deny that God is the one who sanctifies. And so pray to God for your spouse's sanctification, knowing that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if He hears us, we have the request we've asked of Him. And how do, how do we know what His will is? Well, Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. So if you pray for your spouse's sanctification who's in Christ, guess what's going to happen? Your spouse is going to be sanctified. And know that while God is sanctifying your spouse on a slower timetable than you would like, know that he's sanctifying you as well. That you patiently endure and wait on the Lord. And that your hope is not in your spouse's sanctification. Your hope is in the Lord only and always. But our captain knows what he is doing. That he assumed our humanity to suffer, to save us from our sins, to sanctify us, being conformed into his image. And one day he will save us from sin's presence, bringing many sons to glory. So may we look ahead to the day of glory, which is nearer than when we first believed. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us with these truths. You are the one who sanctifies. You are the one who is made perfect through suffering. And you have fully atoned for our sin, dealing with its penalty. You are dealing with its power, delivering us from our sin. And you will deliver us from its presence one day, bringing many sons to glory. May we find great encouragement and hope and rest in you knowing that you are the one who sanctifies, leading us to being encouraged and motivated to continue to press on in holiness and in the faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.